Back to Less Than Ten, a small gang podcast. This is episode 57. Um, I'm here with CCP Swift. Hey, how's it going? And Stitch Caneland. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you both for being here. Uh, we're going to be mostly talking about these faction warfare changes and also uh, the recent Alliance tournament announcement. And just to start us off, Stitch, what have you been up to in Eve lately? Uh, I'm I've primarily been uh, working on making medium blaster kiting viable and trying to make a budget uh, address to you. <laughs> and what's what's the relationship between those two things? <laughs> uh, so a long time ago, I think it was. Um, Oh, geez, no, I can't remember his name. Oh, Garmin had a, a video of a uh, kiting Adrestia, the the um, AT ship that's basically just a overpowered Demos. And, um, you know, a lot of people enjoyed it because obviously it was an AT ship and he was shooting blasters at like, you know, 30, 40 kilometers and killing things. So I've decided to try to duplicate that with a uh, Proteus. And it's uh, working with mixed results, so kind of seen how it goes. I've, I've lost a lot of Astartes as well. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Is there going to be a, a video about this at some point? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Swift, have you been playing EVE? Have you been working on anything in particular? Uh, yeah, mostly uh, hanging out in low sec right now, uh, bumming around, uh, trying to to see what faction warfare people are up to, you know, it, it's, it's relevant, but also, uh, hanging around Amamaki is always fun. Uh, I can always get a fight. Uh, I have fond memories of that Garmin video. Uh, I, like when the Talos came out, I basically just made a Talos do that and it was completely overpowered. Um, and it was absolutely fantastic. And I really enjoyed it because it was super cheap to fly around and could just basically blap interceptors who were just charge right at you because they didn't at the time they didn't think to like not push approach on a blaster boat yeah, straight into the into the large blasters yeah that was before the te nerf so the null blaster talos could shoot to like 60 kilometers and yeah uh, i remember losing my carries to a talos shortly after release because of that exact thing he just blapped me at like 60 kilometers. Also, I was a newbie, so, you know, I was approaching as well. Nice. I mean, I still do. Uh, I have insanely fond memories of when the Orthrus was first released and no one bothered to, like, look up what it did. I mean, obviously, some people did, but, like, the bulk of PvPers didn't. So I could just... And it was also even more broken then. Uh, so you could just, like, sit at 70, point someone, like to volley them and then they don't know what happened like they're like oh how come i can't warp how can i can't do this it was so much fun uh, the area i was in i killed so many people i literally ran out of ammo and then i had to like uh, limp my way back to high sec from uh, null sec and i died on the way of course I, I oh because you're out of ammo yeah 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 nice yeah the orthrus is still good but it used to be um 
very broken. Uh, Stitch, in your in your experiments, have you noticed the effects of the the recent Proteus changes at all? Is that a, like making your life easier? Uh, so I actually started using the Proteus after those changes, um, not necessarily because of the changes. It just kind of aligned as like, hey, what about blaster kiting with the Proteus? Um, but I have noticed that because like I have an old version of Pypha. So I was like making fits in that and I was like, well, this thing has like really low power grid. But then when I check it in game, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's right. This actually all fits now. So uh, I think I've got a pretty good fit working right now. And I also have another fit, but it's not going to be a solo fit, but there's a 100 MN drone Proteus that actually looks really good. So I'm probably going to try that as well. All right. Yeah, the Proteus, you know, blasters and drones are the things it does well, so... Hopefully that'll be fun. I've um, I've been having a lot of fun actually with uh, my corporation. Who I I was pretty much at work all day every day for a while. And while I was not there to supervise them, my corp moved the entire corp into a wormhole. So now I live in a wormhole, I guess. These things happen, you know. Yeah, it does happen. It does happen. As you recruit like self-starting individuals who want to do things. And then they just go do them, and this this stuff happens. But it's been it's been very interesting, you know, having the nullsec static experience, and it ch- changes the the profile of how you engage dramatically versus filamenting. So that's been that's been cool to kind of learn the differences and see, um, you know, which 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 ships we're concerned about, and how far away from the hole we can go, you know, and all that stuff that you know is is only new to us but it's an interesting interesting learning curve so ccb swift you've been playing around in faction warfare stitch i i know you have been in low sec i have been in low sec um for a while there was a there was a phase where my corp basically just lived in tama and so these faction warfare changes are some of them are more dramatic than others but it is a pretty comprehensive system overhaul, right? Which I think looks pretty good. Yeah, it's not just like small little tweaks to uh, worry about like little quality of life issues and then turning our back on it for a little while. It's a, a fairly substantial set of changes. Yeah, it kind of just feels like a full rework to me. I mean, it's keeping the name, but almost everything else is changing just about, it seems like. Yeah, the base... The very base of the gameplay, which is like you are opposed to an enemy empire and you are trying to take space from them, like that part's the same. But how you do that and what ships you do that in and you know all those mechanics seem like they're all pretty much on the table. The main overhaul is this this frontline system where you know right now faction warfare systems exist and they have plexes in them and you can go attack them and you get rewards for doing so. You know, you accumulate enough victory points, you switch the system to your team. But this this biggest kind of structural change, it seems like to me at least, is this frontline system where it strongly encourages attacking systems that border hostile space, basically. Yeah, exactly. So like one of the big problems with faction warfare as it is now, and by the way, everything that I say is just mimicking 
and parroting stuff that CCB Aurora has said because uh, her team is the one that's actually doing this. I'm just kind of watching from the sidelines going, yes, yes. Um, so uh, apart from that, uh, a lot of this it comes directly from her uh, and the rest of that team. But the, the, one of the big problems with Faction Warfare, and if you've played in FW for any amount of time, you've probably experienced this, uh, where it, just, it feels empty because there's so many systems. You're like, you look at the, the capture like uh, stats on the map. You're like, oh, maybe there's someone over there. It's like six jumps away. I'll go over there. You go over there, like no one's there. And you're like, ah, shit. Uh, and then eventually you're just like, well, nothing's going on in here. Let me just uh, fly around like a maniac and capture these things by myself and hope someone luckier than me like finds me and I can get a fight. Uh, or right. I like hang out in Tama or Sujarento or, or like those hot spots where if you've been in FW for some time, you know where the hot spots are because you just kind of make them the hot spots. Uh, they're not like strategically significant to the factional warfare zone. You just know that's where people hang out because it's easy. Um, but that comes with experience. So the idea with the frontline system is to kind of take the big amount of space and kind of just uh, put a magnifying glass on certain systems. So other systems are still like worthwhile doing. It's not like they're dead to you. But if you really want to get some action, you'll know where to go. Like the map will tell you where to go. Right. Yeah. And then just, you know, kind of filtering all the, the active players into the same couple of systems so that they run into each other more. It makes sense. And it also, you know, I think it ties in really nicely with the, the advantage system that Aurora has been talking about. Where, you know, this is and this is something that I have have felt for a long time is that the geography of Eve has sort of been sidelined in a lot of ways. But one of the factors of this advantage system potentially is how many adjacent friendly systems there are, slash versus how many adjacent hostile systems there are, and some stuff like that that will make actually looking at the map and saying, oh, if we can get them back to here then it'll be much easier to get the next couple of systems because they don't have as many support systems and like really making that geography relevant in a way that it's not right now. Yeah, it, it really does like have that, uh, uh, that type of mechanic to it. And also, you know, you can contribute to it in other ways other than just PVPing as well, which is something that I think some players will really like. Uh, people who maybe sit on the sidelines and they're like, oh, I want to help these guys, but I'm not comfortable PvPing yet. So they do something else, and then they just get sucked into PvPing anyways. Um, so that's that's always the the hope for me, at least. I don't think everyone in Eve needs to be a PvPer, but I think there's a lot of non-PvPers who would have a lot of fun once they kind of just take that first step. Yeah, and it also gives a you know you can you know if you're you're a new player and you like doing exploration and you've kind of skilled that way if you can use those hacking skills to affect the faction warfare map by maybe you're giving your side advantage in a system by hacking something or whatever, it not only is a place where those players can potentially earn LP or whatever for, for completing missions, but also ties them into that narrative a little bit more than they, you know, like just filamenting into null and doing data sites for money is profitable but like there's no there's no narrative there outside of what you bring to it 
Yeah, and I think it also expands corporations uh, as well, especially in the in the faction warfare area to like accept more playstyles, which is always a good thing. Uh, maybe if I'm an explorer, I feel like yo, I can't join an FW corp because there's nothing there I can do. I'd just be a sitting duck. Uh, but now I can actually be a, a valued member of the corporation, and I can like pull my own weight. And you know, it just I don't know. It just makes the the demographic of small corporations that much better. Yeah, definitely. And this advantage system, like I, I've, everything I've heard about it so far, I really like. Um, not just in that you can tie other other mechanic systems. I think in the Q and A, Aurora pointed out that it's much faster and easier to attach a like advantage reward to a, a mechanic like the hacking mini game that already exists is a lot easier than building a new mini game yeah part of the um uh, i guess part of the 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 not cool stuff or i guess the stuff that you can't see is being done on the back end to facilitate this advantage program and they're super excited about it because they can just start adding stuff to it without having to like paste together and clop on these things after the fact. Um, like the, the tools that they're building to facilitate this are really going to help out in the long run as well. So they can keep iterating on a feature, keep adding new things and adjusting new things um, as like the meta changes or as play styles change instead of having to be hamstrung with, well, we've got a handful of, uh, what's it called? Like uh, complexes and that's it. Right. Those tools will be useful for this. And I also think, you know, there's been some chit chat about some of these mechanics being moved out into like ADMs or, and other things. I think it's a little early to get anyone's hopes up or like really get serious about that. But the, the ability to put an influence rather than a, you know, a binary, sort of yes, no, does this get you points or no points? Instead, like, here's a beacon that gives all points redemptions in this system a bonus is the kind of force multiplier that leads to some, you know, kind of tactical or strategic depth, like being aware of the geography. And maybe you start pushing around the system you want so that it's less reinforced and then take it and that kind of thing, which I think... You know, Eve players like puzzles, so giving them several layers of puzzle to get through is a good idea. Puzzles and and tools, because you can also view it as like you know you have a problem, and instead of just there only being really one direct solution, there could be multiple solutions. So you know, if you can't work it out this one way, then you can try it this other way, and it also gives you the balance of you know the direct way maybe faster, but the indirect way or capturing surrounding systems is slower but more. Um, you know, higher chance of capturing what you want. Yeah, for sure. Right. Like it just, you know, it's sort of a rolling accumulation that makes you harder to stop rather than just trying to brute force plexes or something like that. Yeah. And you're talking about a game, you're like, you're right that people, uh, like Eve players, love puzzles and they love solving problems. But they also, love solving the problems before actually having to tackle them. <laughs> so you're talking about like a, a system that almost everything in EVE has been solved already, right? Like uh, abyssal sites people solve before they even go into the, the abyss. 
doing uh, fobs and stuff like that. People have already solved. They, they already know where to stage a no-sec invasion from. They already know what the jump routes are going to be for low-sec stuff. So adding like this, uh, this set of puzzles that's also dynamic, as Stitch was mentioning, and, and kind of changes and has multiple solutions, I think that's going to be great for EVE players uh, because it kind of shifts things, uh, at least shakes up the meta as it stands right now. So it'll be a while before it can settle. Yeah, for sure. And I think part of it also, you know, that's been mentioned here and there is there are various tools to balance this. If you're like, you know, what what if one side solves it faster? They just take over the whole war zone. But with the advantage system, it's very easy to influence that by just like turning one side up a little bit effectively. You get a little more victory points than the other side because you're closer to your home high sec or you know whatever lore rationale makes sense to provide a mechanical balance right and uh going back real quick to what um swift said was uh, oh i've always viewed faction warfare kind of as especially in its current state where it's been just i don't want to quite say dead but kind of close to it uh it's i think it's a good area to do a lot of uh testing kind of, or, or proving or proof of concepts. Um, so a lot of things that are being incorporated into this new rework are things that we can see that, you know, okay, if they work here, then, you know, they can kind of move out to other areas and, you know, potentially be a lot better than existing systems. Yeah. So with, with Faction Warfare already not, you know, in its current state, we're not really pushing necessarily anyone out of it by doing these reworks. It's just like a whole new slate and we can see what works and what doesn't work, and people will join in and test it, and then we can expand it. Yeah, and the the design of it, where it's kind of back and forth, these you know these front lines are intended to move, and so you're going to see many many iterations back and forth, in a way that is sort of more expected by the players than, you know, if if a group owns a piece of Sovnal, they kind of ex you know, sometimes irrationally, but they do expect to keep owning it. Um, whereas with Faction Warfare, it's sort of the game is that changing. So change away. Right. Then Stitch kind of uh, touched on a topic that's super important that I think a lot of people missed. Uh, well, maybe they didn't miss, but maybe they didn't understand too much when you were talking about at FanFest, our idea is going forward is to like do stuff and introduce features through Faction Warfare. It doesn't mean that like no other area of the game is going to get touched, right? The idea is if a system is really good in Faction Warfare, it could potentially be good elsewhere too. Uh, and like things that happen under the umbrella of Faction Warfare, maybe it's like a new ship, maybe it's something else. Like that can still apply to other areas of space too. So it's not like our focus is singularly going to be on faction warfare. We're just like, hey, there's a lot of things at play here that can apply to other areas of space, and a lot of systems we can like just test in a small area to see how they perform, uh, and maybe iterate on it and, and put it somewhere else too. Yeah, which is great. I think, in general, my opinion is is always that Eve needs more change rather than less. So speaking of things that are changing, some of the some of the points that are being being updated here, in addition to the whole 
you know, kind of the frontline system determining when and how rewarding it is to attack plexes instead of the tier system, which I believe is officially dead, dead, dead. Um, the plexes themselves are being changed to to be both normal and navy plexes, and also a couple little changes about what exactly can get into a novice, for example. Yeah. So the the idea is, I think Aurora said it best. Is she wanted to like change the meta a little bit for the complexes, add more granularity, but also make it a little bit easier to understand at the same time. Uh, so that includes like changing the names, which uh, and like the size of how many people can come in, right? So if uh, a site is designed for five people, there'll be a five in the name, right? If it's meant right. for navy only ships, you'll see NVY in there, um, and if it's more for for tech two ships and stuff, you'll see advanced. So one thing I wanted to to clarify on that about the the number of people is that more s situational on like let's say it's a five person plex. Does that mean that the rewards for the Plex are catered more to five players rather than it's a hard lockout after five players? Uh, from my understanding, it's not going to be a hard lockout, right? Um, like the, I think there's only one mechanic in the game where there's a hard lockout, and that's for getting the the keys for the reserve banks in Losec. Like those sites do have a hard lockout, but these are not intended to be that way. From my understanding, at least, it's more like, hey, this is meant for five people. If you bring in 10 people, you're not going to get that many rewards. If you bring in two people, you're going to have a hard time. Uh, but maybe you can still do it. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah the impression what, is it's intended to work like um, incursion sites, which do basically that. If you, if you bring less than the intended number of people, it's difficult. Um, and if you bring more, it just diminishing returns the payout for everyone. So if you want to capture a system and that's your number one priority, you know, bring 50 people to every plex, great. But if you're looking to make LP, try to cater to the, the actual number. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of what I was thinking. I just wanted to, to confirm that. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to see if that applies to the victory points they provide as well, because that will uh, create an additional sort of meta pressure to not just, you know, blob out every site. So that'll be interesting. I think some of the metas in these sites are going to be really interesting, especially the, you know, the ones that lock out T2, but are, you know, and that includes T2 down the scale. So if it's a Navy battleship site, you can't bring T2 cruisers or T2 Logi. Yeah, I think there's, <laughs> there's a lot of... Uh ships right now which is utterly dominate in these uh, sites that you basically just if you descan from the outside and you see a ship in there like you're like i'm not there's no way i'm ever going in there like there, there's just no reason for me to be there i'm ditching i'll be gone you're like that really super limits um like engagements that people want to take uh, and so changing this i'm sure at some point people will find out the perfect doctrine for each and every one but that's fun like people are gonna have fun coming up with those different doctrines and people are going to decide that one guy is right and one guy is wrong and they're going to test it out by trying to explodify each other even better. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's a really good move to separate Navy and pirate um, ships across these categories. I think 
Pirate are going into the advanced category with T2 where they can't get into the lower end plexus. My, uh, my worm will be very sad, but at least, you know. Yeah, but I think that's part of like why the some of the naming is a little bit deceptive. Like you have a plex called a novice plex, but you can go in there with 35,000 EHP and a worm. Yeah. You know, if someone who is like, oh, I'm new at this, I should go to the novice plex, that seems like it's for me. You know, they're not going to know what to do with that. There's this thing in EVE where people, uh, and I don't know if it's good advice or not, but it doesn't matter. It's the advice people give where someone goes into PvP. They're like, oh, just buy like 50 of one ship and just keep flying it. Just buy a bunch of like Atrons. And imagine you're a dude who's like, okay, someone told me to buy 50 Atrons. I bought 50 Atrons. And every time you run up against like a worm <laughs> or something that's equally as like annoying to deal with, and you're like, son of a bitch. And then you just give up, right? And when you have like 47 Atron sitting in the station somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's it doesn't feel like, you know, oh, I lost a little less this time. I'm getting better or anything because you're just getting completely smashed by something that's, you know, you think you're fighting another frigate, but in fact, you're basically fighting a battlecruiser. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if you can necessarily answer this, but I was curious on like the advanced uh, plexes. So let's say we have like an advanced cruiser plex. So that would mean that even like T two frigates or T one frigates couldn't go in there, correct? Uh, I have to double check uh, because I know this had changed a little bit uh, between like one of the designs that I looked at and another one. Uh, but I will try and check right now, and then uh, I'll, I'll give you an answer. Yeah, because I'm just kind of thinking on what we've experienced in the past with like the old Abyssal 1v1 systems. Um, granted, these aren't necessarily going to be 1v1s all the time, but I would say probably the majority of them will end up being 1v1s or 1v2s or whatever. I'm just kind of imagining the eventual meta is just going to be Icky Tursas versus Icky Tursas or Curses versus Icky Tursas and stuff like that because those are the, typically the dominant 1v1 right. ship. My impression is that you can bring smaller ships in just not the like, you know, if you're in a Navy Plex you can bring, if you're in a Navy Cruiser Plex, you can bring Navy or T1 cruisers, destroyers, and frigates, but not interceptors, for example. Gotcha. So maybe advanced plex potentially could allow Navy, Pirate, and then T2 for right. release for cruisers. Yeah. And if it's a cruiser plex, it would, I think, uh, hopefully Swift can, can tell us for sure, it would be cruisers, destroyers, and frigates. Okay. Um, speaking of destroyers, Stitch, when are you going to post the Navy destroyer stats on Reddit for CCP? <laughs> uh, not not yet. I've, uh, I mean, I don't even know what they're going to be like. It could be Navy Algos, or it could be Navy Catalyst, or you know. So I'm not even sure which direction to go. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know because yeah. you also have the Navy Talwar or Navy Thrasher. Navy Thrasher could be nice because then you might get a Thrasher that can actually fit artillery and have more than like a 30 kilometer optimal or a 30 kilometer targeting range. But then again, a Navy Talwar, but that maybe does something more than explosive damage, which to be honest, I think explosive lock is the worst lock in the game. People complain about kinetic lock all the time, 
But kinetic lock is really good. But like explosive lock is the worst because everyone covers explosive hold and armor ship, and then shield ships all have high explosive resistance. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if if Swift can even talk about this at all. Um, the it was, uh, it was the very destroyers existing should not have been. That was an accident <laughs> on our part. Yes, um, and to be fair, it is not actually officially stated. It was just extremely extremely strongly implied but i'll say explosive lock is good for exactly one thing uh and that is uh tech two midmatar resists i mean it's not like amazing against it's, it but yeah how wars versus scimitars is always like a really fun uh thing true 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 um my my current theory is that the Navy destroyers are going to reverse the Navy cruiser trend and be Lodgy ships. Um, because the Navy versions of the T1 Lodgy ships are all DPS ships. So I think they're going to take these DPS destroyers and make Lodgy destroyers out of them to take into these Navy sites to rep your Navy battleships. But that's based on actually nothing. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how, like, okay, so I don't know, full disclosure, I don't know what they look like or what they are or what their stats are, but I will say I'm not sure how destroyer logistics would work, like, conceptually. Oh, um, yeah. We have maybe, yeah, yeah, but they have, like, two, like, they uh, have super tiny SIGs that you can, like, overprop on because they've got the extra power grid, right? So they they're just hard to hit. A destroyer who's like meant to be kind of easier to hit. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you go like crazy super, on it. Super long range logistics, maybe where they just stay really far away. Yeah, maybe they could just have like a really big burst and then they die really quickly. So like they can <laughs> rep you all the way like back a, from zero once and then you're, they're gone. Like a rapid. massive bonus to ancillary remote reps. It's a rapid light logi. Just burst, burst logic yeah. and then it dies. <laughs> see, that would actually be kind of fun. Now, the, the the Navy ship I'm waiting on, which obviously hasn't, there's no plans, I'm sure, but uh, I'm still holding out hope for for Navy-based uh, EWAR cruisers. Now, they don't necessarily have to be EWAR bonus, but I really want a Navy Bellicose, and I will continue fighting that fight because the Bellicose is a good ship, and unfortunately, its T2 version is worse than it, which is a rapier. At least as far mm. as uh, raw DPS goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Arguably, the Hugin is the T2 version of it. The Hugin's is projectile based, though. And the, true, uh, true, true. Velikos' missile. Yeah. You can make a Hugin do 800 DPS, though. You can, but it's also kind of weird because you're like, look at these long webs I have, and but I, I'm just going to be sitting on top of you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the webs are to get you there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, well, Navy destroyers, theoretical, but probable. Uh, they may exist. No one, and they may no one knows what they're going to be. Possible. It's going to be a Navy Algos with a massive rep drone bonus. That's what it's going to be. That would be so good in certain yeah, situations. very specific contexts. <laughs> An Algos that can that can field three sentries that are like overpowered. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would be an interesting. I would be interested to see what those stats are going to be, um, 
because like Swift was saying, destroyers are pretty easy to hit. And the you know, one of the benefits of being a navy ship is you generally speaking get a hit point bonus to the base hit points that is approximately equivalent to you know, strapping another plate or extender onto the ship. But I'm not sure that'll be enough to make them live against anything bigger. You know what I mean? Like I'm not sure it'll a the size of that hit point bonus relative to the regular hit points won't be enough to make them survivable when they're still destroyer sig. Yeah. Um, you know the the thing I've been uh kind of on a, a trip lately is that I desperately want more anti-tackle ships or platforms, which is why like my last video was about the rail, the 150 millimeter dual rail Eagle. Cause I'm like, could this actually work as an anti-tackle platform? I mean, it kind of worked, but not in a, in a gang setting, but if dual one fifties weren't complete garbage and required an Eagles bonuses to kind of work, uh, it's like, you know, Hey, maybe they could work. But like, if we had destroyers that could actually shoot out to decent ranges you know, that would be kind of nice to supplement potential anti-tackle. But the, the issue still exists, like you mentioned, that there's still going to be destroyers and they're still just going to probably get like volleyed off grid by Varger if you're trying to use anti-tackle with them. Um, you know, so that's kind of, you know, comes back to what you're talking about. But it would be nice if we had more anti-tackle platforms that weren't just rapid light spam or triglavian. Yeah. yeah, and that's, you know, that's sort of the, the question is like where destroyers have felt to me at least, like they don't really have much of a place in the current, um, at least the small gang meta, which is pretty much projection and speed. And destroyers used to be very high projection relative to other ships, but they currently are, you know, some of them have decent projection. Cormorant is good at that and some other things, but they're all, I mean, with the exception of the Kikimora, which is obviously a trig ship and therefore exceptional, but the T1 destroyers in general are really slow and they don't, you know, they don't sig tank. They don't zoom around. They don't project to a level where the it's enough to overcome those things. Yeah. They're in a really weird spot. And I think there are two ways to fix that, right? Like one is just to make new weirder spots, which is like where the new complexes come into to play. Um, and just like kind of tweaking the ships themselves. I, um, I'm not a game designer, but I do hope, and I'm going to like try and, uh, subtly like, uh, suggest this to the game design team that when the Navy destroyers come out, if they do in fact exist hypothetically, that they just come out broken, like completely broken. Uh, I want them to be like incredibly, incredibly good and overpowered, uh, and then kind of dialed back down a little bit instead of the other way around where like it comes in uh like a wet sock and then we have to dial it back up like uh, that's no fun i really like it when it's just completely broken and this is probably why i'm not a game designer but um i do like just conceptually having a, an incredibly broken ship because it's a it's a it's got like a very little ehp so it's gonna die anyways at least have yeah. some fun with it yeah and i think that's a better way to go about it anyway like I, I made a post a few days ago uh, talking about kind of that thing. I think Eve's balance is best when there are OP things. 
um, because it makes people think they're like, okay, how can I counter this? What's the best way to deal with this? And for like a destroyer, like you mentioned, like, I mean, a destroyer is really limited in terms of how OP it's going to be. You know, maybe if it finds like another frigate or something, it'll be OP in that scenario. But like, I, I don't imagine Navy destroyers going around and dunking marauders solo or anything like, you know, no matter how OP you make it. I mean, unless if you like can put, uh, anti-capital guns on it or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, this is the new Marauder counter. It's going to be these things. You fit one. One capital gun. Yeah, and it, that's how that's how it moves. You know, it doesn't, you can't fit, it doesn't have any mids, so it just propels itself every time it shoots the gun. <laughs> yep. You can, like, target it like a burst if you want to change directions. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think that's the best way to go about it. And, you know, we've seen this before with like the old, the the original T3 destroyers, like, you know, they came out pretty OP. You know, even though people claim the Svipple was really OP, I don't know. I mean, it was strong, but like a decent fit Drake could dunk Svipples all day long. Um, it's just, yeah, maybe with the the old assault frigates before they were buffed, you know, they, they were kind of overpowering assault frigates, but that was an issue with assault frigate balance, not an issue with T3Ds. So, you know, I remember that era when T3Ds came out, like, that was a lot of fun just roaming around and, like, battle cruisers and battleships and all these overconfident T3D pilots would just ram you all day. Um, and, you know, like, so the same thing would maybe happen with, you know, overpowered destroyers. Again, they'll be fun. People will try and find counters to them. And yeah, if they come out strong, people want to fly them. No one wants to fly something that's just boring. Yeah, and I think that's you know that's how it's a new ship feels like new content is when it's good enough that everyone wants to use it and it's a new experience and it's like something to try out and figure out where it fits in. And if it comes out and it's like you know they all cost five hundred million isk and are outclassed by droggers, then it's just not it's that's not content. That's just a thing to look at in the database and not. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and one of my other favorite things is like, is it overpowered because I don't know like how best to fit it and like the meta hasn't stabilized and just this other person figured it out before me? Or is the ship like just super good as well? Because there has been so many instances in EU's history where it's been the former, <laughs> where a ship hasn't actually been overpowered, just people didn't know what it did. Um, and and they didn't really know how to conceptually counter it. And this is mostly like in the earlier days when uh, people were less good at the game. Now everyone's an amazing uh, pilot, but. Yeah, the information transfer has also gotten much faster with people with streams and YouTube channels and, and all that. So theoretical destroyers, uh, we, I also, you know, I would like them to be strong. I think that, you know, the last couple balance passes that have been done on various ship types uh, most of them have come out pretty strong. Like Interdictor Pass, they all came out, you know, I mean, the Saber felt a little bit like it lost out, but that's because it spent the last 10 years being just objectively superior in every way. And then, you know, obviously the Marauder Balance Pass didn't leave them hurting. <laughs> they they are not hurting in any ways now. Uh, I've, they've been nerfed twice and they're still fine. Yeah, it'll it'll be fun to see if you know if those are real actually. Uh, some of the other changes that are coming in faction warfare, or some of the things that are sort of being talked about, I guess one of them is a way to make it feel like owning the space matters, uh, given citadels. 
that's one of the sort of broad complaints about the current version is that you know you lose access to the stations but you can just anchor your citadel so it actually doesn't really matter that the other side is controlling the system and the idea that got floated for that was that if you are in hostile space in faction warfare you can only dock or undock from your citadel in a pod which is an interesting um complexity i guess to to add to it like it's not you can't have access to a citadel your citadel shuts down or anything but it hampers you pretty dramatically yeah, and and this is something that Aurora even mentioned that like it's still a work in progress, right? They're still willing to go back and forth with uh, community people, people in the war zone, people who live in low sec but are not in the war zone. They kind of come up with the the best solution where it doesn't feel just like uh, nothing matters when you swap a system, but that you can still live in the area, right? Right. Yeah, the the thing that struck me about some of the reaction to that was that, you know, if we're supposed to be assaulting these frontline systems, you know, that in order to assault them, you're going into hostile space. But it hands the defender a tremendous, tremendous advantage if you have to leave the system to reship. And so, you know, maybe frontline systems should be the exception to this because they're being actively attacked. And, you know, I think that has some some value because what we want is for people to fight, right? We don't want to put barriers to that generally. Yeah, and it could even go like one step further where if a system's a frontline system, like the conceptually it's like contested. So no side really has ownership of the stations, right? So anyone can dock, um, mm. not only for citadels, but for stations too. Like that's just, uh, I, I saw some people mention that as well, but... Uh, at some point, we do have to figure out a way to uh, limit Citadel's power in factual warfare space. Because right now, it's just super cheap to drop a Citadel uh, and just stage out of it. And no one can really do too much about it, right? They, by the time it's killed, uh, you've already uh, gotten your use out of it anyways. Right. Right. And we want to make it we want to make it easy to attack and easy to defend, but have some some like actual benefit from having done that. Yeah, exactly. And and I will say, like, I'll put a caveat again that I'm not a game designer, but I also think Eve is more fun when attackers or when the attacker advantage is just like slightly better than the defender advantage. Uh, for a long time, Eve, at least in Nullsec, has had a pretty massive defender's advantage. And I think you can feel that. It just feels... Yeah, it feels static. Yeah. Whereas, like, if the the attackers have, like, a, a slightly better advantage, right? We're just talking, like, 55-45, not, like, 70-30, right? Um, then it just feels more fun because you feel like there's a little bit more hope and a little bit more reason to go and do stuff because you've got a slightly better advantage for it. And if you don't go on the offensive, someone else is going to go on the offensive against you. Right, and then you're fighting at a disadvantage, so it it really motivates people to go out and attack, um, which is, you know, I think the the best case scenario for faction warfare is that the sides are constantly attacking each other. 
Yeah, and you can you can still have areas in space where you can just like like uh, farm up your your war chest, right? Like you, do, it doesn't have to be. I'm always attacking, never defending, never farming, never doing anything. Like there needs to be that dynamic where you can have farmers for people to go out and hunt uh, and stuff like that. And you know, it has to be actually effective as well. It can't just be like I'm making two milisk an hour, like capping these sites. Like woe is me. This has to be done, so I'm doing it. No, like it should be valuable for your time to go do, so people can go out and go and fight you. Yeah, and maybe that takes the form of like. Um you know, on the Q and A, we were t- you guys were talking a little bit about uh, over sort of over capping systems and how that can give you a defensive advantage, sort of going into the next cycle. And maybe it's you know you're running support missions of some kind to build up those defenses, and maybe the other you know the attacker still gets a few more victory points per plex than you, but if you put the work in ahead of time, you can sort of fortify so that it, even with that advantage, it's harder for them to to push it all the way back, things like that. And that those missions, you know, issued from an NPC or, you know, whatever can be where some of that farming happens, I think. Yeah, without a doubt. So, yeah. Um, the other thing that people have been talking a lot about that hasn't, hasn't really been conclusively stated anything about except that it's it's an interesting thing to look at is the effects on particularly on you know new players are often encouraged to go into faction warfare but some of the side effects of faction warfare like access to high sec of the opposing sides can be you know pretty demanding especially on a newer player who maybe only has one account yeah <laughs> just join just join Kaldari and you're fine and then everyone's in Kaldari and it's fine I'm just right. kidding, of course, but yeah. that's like that's what it feels like right now. Like it, the Galente are at a massive disadvantage. Like you can't go to Jita. What? Like uh, that's insane. Um, the fact that you know Dodixie does exist and and Valor they do exist and they're kind of like okay stocked, but you're still paying a premium to do it, right? So it just means that if you're flying for the Galente, you're doing so because a some sort of lore reason or b you just like like flying at a disadvantage like you just like paying extra for stuff um and that's yeah. just not i mean that's a that's a mechanic it's not good that, game uh, design yeah <laughs> that's something that the designers are like super well aware of uh i don't know what the, their solution is going to be but i do know that it's something they're very very aware of and cognizant of yeah i remember being in minmatar uh faction warfare and kaldari would you know try and shoot me all the time but the police more often than not just wed me into warp. Like I remember going into Jita to buy a battleship and then boat it back to Minmatar space. And I would just, uh, you know, I, I'd have the Insta to get off the G to undock, but then like I would slowly align to warp out and then the faction police would show up and then they just wed me into warp. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was always kind of like, I was always hesitant to go to, to Jita because I'm like, is this a time I'm actually going to get killed by the faction police? <laughs> right. Do I do I want to make my logistics like tense? Yeah, and it it just, it just takes one guy to be over there too to like just ruin your whole day. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's something they're super aware of. I, I don't know what the solution is, but um, that is definitely like uh, a problem that we we see. Yeah, and I think that'll actually you know as this rework comes into play. 
you know, as more people want to try the new system and as new players are, you know, maybe hear about it, you know, like, oh, there's this big revamp, maybe now is the time to try EVE, having them not have some of those hurdles, you know, probably be good. Yeah, and it's not just for new players either. Like, um, I remember when Faction Warfare first came out, I was still, like, I was relatively seasoned in PvP and NullSec. Like, um, it, I wasn't, like, the best of the best, but, like, I knew how to PvP. And coming into Faction Warfare, it was, like, a whole new game. And it was so much fun. Like, I vividly remember that summer where I just fly around like a goofball getting into, like, 15, 20 fights an hour because people were trying out this new feature and um, they were just having fun. And it wasn't new players. It was like uh, just people that were trying stuff out and throwing them all into that one little area was uh, incredibly, incredibly um, addictive. Yeah, that's great. It was, it was a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun when new, new stuff happens, like new ships, like we talked about, new areas, new mechanics, because people do want to try it, and they aren't invested in it yet. So people do go, you know, goof around and, you know, try things they know are going to fail, but they think will be funny. You know, no one, no one tries things they know they're going to fail to take us off at this point. Yeah. Lots of good stuff. Uh, I believe also right at the end of that Q&A, Aurora said there's maybe a Navy ship balance pass coming with some of this stuff, which I am super excited about. Yeah, Aurora is like super into, like I, I know time permitting, she wants to balance some things with the with the expansion as well. So it's not just faction warfare stuff it's going to be some other stuff too um not i have no idea what she's got in mind but uh, i did have a lot of fun with her the the um, only balanced stuff we did was the laylaps and raiju where we were bouncing like dumb ideas off of each other and she was like but what if we did this and just because we it was under the auspices of alliance tournament chips we knew we could go a little bit crazy yeah. Um, and that was just a ton of fun. So that's kind of where her mind goes, and I'm all for it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, you know, some of the Navy ships are like, I, one of my, the first ships that I really liked in Eve was the Armageddon Navy issue. But it is not, it's not even bad. It's just not as good as the other options in every way. And then even some of the perennial favorites, like right now the Omen Navy issue, the classic small gang, you know, laser cruiser, is just outclassed by things like the Vedmac. It just is just not as good. And and also, well, the all the the additional issue with the Nomen is that the meta heavily counters everything the Nomen can do. Like you have Ramjags, which are high EM thermals, so you do like no damage to a Ramjag. Everything has projection. The Nomen's paper tanked, um, you know, so it just it doesn't really have a good spot on the field anymore. Which is kind of the same issue with the Cinnabol, but at least the Cinnabol can you know shoot Ramjags and actually stay away from them. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, and the Cinnabol can, you know, if you fully turn in, you can do a ton of DPS, and then you're actually still fast enough to to dip in a lot of right. circumstances. So, right. and there's, you know, there's definitely some Navy ships that are, like the Nomen, you can use it 
Um, you can use the Scorpion Navy issue, but why wouldn't you use a Golem or a Rattlesnake, you know, and things like that. And then there's some of them that are like, I desperately, desperately want the Caracal Navy issue to be good, um, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, it has, uh, I think the Nosprey has more power grid than the... The yeah, Caracal Navy, and that Nosprey only needs to fit three missile launchers, but the Caracal Navy needs to fit six. Yeah, it's uh, it's in a rough spot. So, I think not only are the the Navy ships are sort of all over the place um, relative to the meta, but they're also all over the place relative to each other in a way that I think you know wouldn't take too dramatic of a of a touch to fix. Yeah, so I, I was, think the I think the last time that the the navy like the non pirate but navy faction battleships were touched, like the navy cruisers didn't even exist in the game, um, or at least they didn't in like the same form that they are now. So yeah, it's been a minute. It's, it's, pretty, it's been a while. Pretty sure it was 2013 when navy battleships were rebalanced, um, because a lot of the new re- changes to the navy battleships were just basically turning them into the old. T1 battleships. Like the Armageddon Navy issue is what the old T1 um, Armageddon was, and the Typhoon Fleet issue is what the old T1 Typhoon was. There, there's, you know, minor changes. Um, like I think the old Typhoon was, you only had like three turret and three missile hardpoints. You had a yeah, mix. The, the full split. Right. But then, then the, the Typhoon Fleet issue gives you, you know, a full six turret or full six projectile bonus. Now, as far as like the Navy ships go, I think what CCP did with the VNI was actually a really good thing. They gave it what it needed, even though they went over the technical bonus limit or, you know, the perceived limit, um, because it has five bonuses. So it has more bonuses than like a T2 cruiser. Um, but, you know, they're, they work. It, it doesn't necessarily feel OP and it does a decent job at brawling. Like it's a, it's a competent brawler. So, you know, maybe we could see some more changes where they have, like, three bonuses or maybe even four bonuses. That's what the ship needs to, like, feel good and, you know, obviously not be overpowered. But, you know, maybe that would open them up a little bit more to where they feel better because then you could maybe throw on, uh, you know, just just throwing it out there. Like, you could throw a micro warp drive SIG reduction on the Nomen. So then that way it's not getting clapped by everything on grid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think... Some some interesting revamps are definitely possible, and I'm looking forward to that. I also, I forget if it was on the Twitch stream or the Q and A. Uh, heard the word Munin in there. Yeah, I did too. somewhere, <laughs> and I I wrote that down because it's just they're just boring now. I've just it's been too long. I think it's gotten to the point where even in NullSec, people are just like, I'm so tired of this ship. I'm going to force another ship. Uh, like, I'm going to force another meta just because I don't want to fly this anymore. So even if the Munin's better, I'm flying something else just because uh, the Munin's Yeah, dead. just because I've flown the Munin the last 600 fleets. It's also weird that, like, a lot of the way... I was talking to this to another CCP here, but, like, a lot of the ways that people fly Munins in, in large fleets, they don't even fly them, like, well um yes but they just they just work right because you just push a button and the other guy doesn't exist anymore and you try and do that faster than the other guy can yeah and it doesn't matter that 
you're not all having the same transversal because you're in a giant ball because that lets you kill tackle super easily because you're in a hundred kilometer ball. So, you know, whatever tackle destroyer is next to your anchor, half your fleet has perfect transversal and it dies. Yeah. 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 I think it's time, time for the missile munin. I think, I think it is time for the missile munin. The, the munin needs to be a ham boat in my heart. <laughs> let's, let's go. Right. Wouldn't it be good? An armor ham ship with no damage lock and an application bonus. Like it could be everything the Caracal Navy issue wants to be. It, that would be interesting. I'm sure uh, a lot of people would be very happy about it. Yeah. I, I continue to feel that hacks would be best served by having being designed to operate range bonus, short range weapon systems in the like 40 to 50 kilometer range. And skirmishing like that, which yeah. I think is possible, but I mean, like people get really hung up about the targeting range on hacks. Like they they want to keep it, like you know, oh, we need the hundred hundred twenty kilometers on our on our cruisers. And I'm just you know, even like small gang is like, well, yeah, but if you take away our targeting range, then we can't shoot anyone. It's like, but you guys, we all fly around in cruisers already that have like sixty kilometer targeting ranges. Like, you know, the Nomen has, I think it's like. 60 or 65 kilometers or something like you know we're not talking about impossible changes where all of a sudden you can't fly hacks because they have lower targeting range uh it just prevents them from being so easily abused as just long road long range spam boats um but you know the other thing i've always thought about would be kind of interesting is if all hacks had an afterburner bonus uh because that would really shake up the ess meta too because right now ess meta is just like all sancha and like that's super boring to me. Like Sancha has been the the go to small gang ship for everything, even back in the capital days. Um, it'd be nice if we could have more ships that can do AB things, and it would mix up the ESS meta. Plus, you could have AB like close range hacks and like a, a fleet meta, and you know they could actually get under the guns and just brawl things down. I like the idea of like uh, kind of nerfing projection a little bit, right? Like just having it so battleships are the long projection uh, type of ships because that meta always seemed really, really fun to me uh, because battleships, like, notorious, like, once they're on grid, we're talking, like, fleet-wise, once they're on grid, they're basically stuck on grid until they either win or lose, right? There's, like, very little I'm going to just gently run away now moments in, in battleships, which right. I think is why people have this, like, really positive nostalgic feel to them because they've all like no matter what if you've been on a battleship fleet you've probably wiped out another battleship fleet uh and if you've been on a mutant fleet you probably shot tackle and dictors for a while and then just run away uh at, like when the other yeah. guy blobs you too much and then you're you're home but you didn't lose a ship but you also didn't have that much fun right but, you didn't you don't feel like you got in a fight you feel like you started a fight a little bit and then one side dipped yeah yeah, and I think, well, I mean, you may be getting your wish because uh, Tachyon Paladins are the hot new hot thing. You know, buffer tanked, rep bonused Bastion ships. I'm kind of all about it, not going to lie. Like, I'm, I'm okay with that. They're decently expensive, um, and someone's going to whelp one, and it's going to be hilarious. Like, that's that's just yes. where I live. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't necessarily even think it's a bad thing um i do think that there probably should be like one thing that marauders aren't the best ship for 
potentially. I mean, they're not they're not the best miners, but it there should be something. Yeah, that's uh. That's true. You can only fit four guns on uh, on a Marauder. I just want to remove the third ASB from the Varger. Like that's that's all I'm okay, and then I'll be fine. Yeah, that's that is that is a fit that is like a little bit much because the only thing you're running cap for is like your grapple. Yeah, I had so much fun when um, when we buffed Marauders because I used to fly a dual ASB uh, Maelstrom in low sec, which was hard to do but doable, right? Like it was doable uh, once upon right. a time. Uh, and then this is just like, oh, I can do that, and then add a third one. <gasps> like, how am I going to die? I'll just yeah. <laughs> and you're you're also going to rep more with each charge, and you're also going to do, you know, twenty five hundred DPS. Oh, remember when they had thirteen boosters instead of nine? Yes, barely, barely old enough to remember that. that those are super broken. All right, poor, poor Millstrom. Yeah, the Maelstrom. Poor, poor Maelstrom, indeed. That ship really fell out of the meta and then never came back. Yeah. Um, so we ended up talking about Marauders, even though I was sort of trying not to. I wasn't trying very hard. The other thing that we're supposed to talk about is the Alliance Tournament, which was just announced, which you you know, you know, more or less ran the show last year, right, Swift? Uh, it was all CCB Aurora, and, and uh, I helped out a little bit. But um, CSB Aurora and I last year designed like the points, uh, some of the rules, which is why the rules were a little bit weird because that was my bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had a ton of fun doing that. It's something that I've been close to for as long as I can remember in my Eve career. Right, I started uh, flying Alliance Hornet Six, and I've never looked back. And then I just went to talking about it after I was no longer good enough to be on a team. But still, it's like one of my favorite things in EVE. It's probably the only reason I'm still playing the game because the AT existed. Uh, I'm sure I would have just been a normie, quit EVE in like 2013 or something and then uh, gone on with life. And that would have been tragic. But luckily, the AT saved me, kept me in EVE for the better part of my life. Uh, And it's coming back. You're working for CCP. We're doing the AT again. Do you have a specific role in it this year? I know it seems like, I should say, I don't know, but it seems like from my perspective as a you know, potential co-captain and all that, that sort of the main point of contact this year is going to be CCP Zealous. Yes, uh, CCP Zealous is doing uh, most of it. I'm going to help him out a lot because it's, um, or I'm going to try to help him out as much as I can because it's a lot of work, but he's been mostly doing it all by his lonesome, um, which is scary to think about because it's, not because he's not qualified for it, but because it's a lot of work for one person. Uh, so yeah, so it definitely seems like a two or three person job potentially. Yeah. So as we get a little bit closer, more of the community team is going to uh, chime in. Not just me, but CZB Paragon is going to be there too. Uh, CZB Convict is going to help with streaming stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, we we're looking at some of the the rules last year or the points last year, and I kind of like looked inward and I was like, ah, I think we balanced them like a little bit too balancey. Uh, at least that was my takeaway. Like people didn't complain about it. People liked it. People were just happy that the AT was back, but I thought it was like a little bit too balanced uh, to the point where you never like a, a proper meta, like never really emerged. 
So it did kind of feel like there was some sort of rock, paper, scissors element to it towards the end, um, which if you guess right, good for you. Uh, but if you guess wrong, it feels bad. And, you know, that's that's what last year was, at least from, from my perspective. And I, I'm not sure if that's a failure or anything, but that's definitely something that I noticed. It definitely felt... Um... Like there were a lot of viable directions you could go, um, which is, you know, feels good on the one hand because there's a lot of a lot of options, a lot of choices, a lot of tools. But you are right that it didn't it didn't ever seem like it 100% locked into a meta, and that made it a little bit of a guessing game, you know, because you can't you can't really ban things out. You can hamstring certain compositions that you really don't want to see but you can't stop them 100% and you definitely can't like force the whole game into a meta with the bands or anything like that yeah with the i do like the what we did with the bands where like you could have overlapping bands so kind of uh like rather if two bands overlapped you'd get like a band back so that gave us a lot of liberty to make uh ships like almost too good to pass up because if something became super dominant we figured both teams would just first phase ban that and get their ban back so it wouldn't like really screw things up too much it wouldn't end up being like a ban tax that you always have to pay yeah exactly like rattlesnake or loki or something like that uh so i I really really liked how that played out that was uh, really like uh, amazing and i loved how the mercenary rule played out like that actually um it worked really, really well, and we kind of brought that back. Same with the band system. Yeah, I I really liked the mercenary rules, um, and I'm glad they're back again. Especially because you know, there's like, if every person in my corp logged a character in, we would have like a team with no extra people. So being able to to bring in some of our friends who don't necessarily want to switch alliances and corps makes it f- flexible in a way that um, was really useful as a smaller team. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the I, I am very excited to see what teams are going to do or what the uh, comps people are going to bring because while it doesn't seem like we changed the rules that much, we changed the rules a lot for... Yes for essentially just how the whole tournament's going to play out. Like uh, you just change a three to a four and like a few points around there. And all of a sudden the meta has shifted wildly and like, Oh, scripts are allowed now too. And now it's just like an extra um, angle. So I, I spent hours going back and forth, like theory crafting teams saying, Oh, we can't use these rules because I just came up with an unbeatable team and then I'd beat the unbeatable team. And I'm like, oh, well, uh, uh, and I went back and forth, back and forth. Um, so it's, it's going to be fun for the theory crafters. I'll put it that way. Yeah, for sure. Some of the, the more notable changes for people who have not, you know, read the rules document with a magnifying glass because they're not as involved perhaps. Um, Instead of three per size category, you know, three battle cruisers, three cruisers as a limit, it's now four. So you can do things like bring four gilas uh, if you wanted to. You can use scripts for weapon disruptors and damps, but not the T2 modules, which is an interesting 
you know, some people were kind of calling that out, like, you know, T2 modules aren't allowed because the Minmatar don't like these kinds of EWAR, but you can script them, which makes them stronger than the T2 versions without scripts were. So what's happening here? Uh, but it's definitely going to affect the meta. And then the other thing that really stands out to me is that these the duplicate point penalty that got added in, which I thought was really an interesting component of the Anger Games theory crafting. Yeah, right. So that, that is really cool. So if you bring uh, like one Dominix, it's however many points, I think 19. But if you bring two, that second one is now worth 20 points. And then the third one is an additional point. So if you bring like this, uh, if you if you like have a lot of the same types of ships together, it can be very costly. But if you spread it out a little bit, um, you can probably find some really, really good value in there. Uh, like you're talking saving three or four points uh, here and there, and that's insane value in the Alliance tournament. Right. That's uh, a just, whole nother frigate or upgrading a frigate to a T3D or, you know, a T3D to a cruiser, you know, things like that. Yeah. And uh, like, so being able to find the extra value in there uh, is something that is going to be great for great theory crafters. And it's going to be, a bane on, on people who are just like wanting to do it a little bit better. Um, and it's always going to be like, at least for me, when theory crafting uh, the teams, it's going to be a matter of, oh shit, should I swap this for that? I mean, on paper, it might be better, but maybe not. It'll fly completely differently. Like, what if, uh, what if I do like a Navy Mega and a Vindy instead of two Vindies? um or two navy megas like what if i try and squeeze some efficiency out there is it going to play differently who knows uh like that's one of those things where on paper or in paifa it looks like it's a it's a fair trade out but then in reality they're going to fly completely differently yeah for sure and i think it's going to be it's going to force people into you know some some really interesting fit theory crafting where you know, maybe you want to bring four Gila's, but if you bring four Gila's, that's 60 points. So maybe you want to bring three Gila's and a shield Ishtar, you know, or something like that. And seeing what, uh, you know, how you can, how you can stack those and f get the, the same win condition with a different ship hull and a different point value. Yeah, and you mentioned that something came in from the Anger Games, and that's something that seems to be zealous. Really, was like, I'm doing, I'm like, we're adopting this for sure. I was not sold uh, until it was like in place, and I got to actually do the theory crafting. At which point, I was like, all right, this is great. Yeah, it's it really discourages um, picking the best. You know, if you want a armor drone cruiser, you just fill it with Ishtars. Or if you want a shield drone cruiser, you fill it with Gila's. Or if you want a DPS battle cruiser, you fill it with Oracles. Um, and I think that makes it a lot more interesting to try to puzzle together how you can, like, where the breakpoint is when the the pinnacle ship of a given role costs too much. Um, the other thing that jumped out at me from the rules this year is that flagships no longer have abyssals. Uh, yeah, they, um, they've they got a few more mods that they can uh, play with rather than last year, which was, I think, probably a little bit too limiting, which forced everyone just in the Bargus. Not only that, but just Bargus good and, and fewer points. 
Um, but there are a few factors that went into removing uh, the abyssal roll element for uh, flagships. Uh, one, battleships are just so much stronger now. Um, like we weren't exactly sure how that's going to play out. Like you're talking about with plates uh, adding so much more HP. Uh, how is that going to work out? And we also kind of like underpointed them a little bit too. So I suspect that the first weekend meta is going to be like battleships and assault frigates or battleships and, and plus something or battleships plus some control and something else uh, until it just gets outperformed. Battleships and molasses. Yeah, there you go. Uh, battleships, Celestis, uh, Blackbird. Like that's an insane comp, right? Uh, and you can absolutely field it. So we didn't want to go too crazy with uh, giving uh, power back to flagships. Um, just, yeah. just for that. And uh, there's also like a cost element to it too. Uh, like if I roll a Toby Webb like insanely on my Balgorn uh, or my Vindy and like just someone just can't compete and I just can't ban this ship out, then like I'm webbed no matter where I am if I'm in a logistic ship. And that doesn't seem too... Fair. Yeah, because it's 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 not just cost, but there's an accessibility component to it. Yeah. Because if someone has one of those rolled Toby webs, like regardless of how much they want to pay for it, another team may just might not be able to find one. They much might not exist. And you um, might spend a uh, a few hundred bill on a great mod, and then through your theory crafting, you're like, shit, I don't want this. Like, <laughs> this isn't going to be my meta anymore. Yes. And I think, you know, dis disallowing some of the more extreme cases um, and then opening up the range of mods that are allowed to be upgraded, I think will, will give us a wider pool of battleships. You know, Armageddon's a perennial favorite, but you couldn't upgrade Newts last year. So zero Armageddon flagships happened. Yeah, and we I think this year we removed the the Leshak Balgorn uh rattlesnake from from being flagship. Yeah, because, and the widow. Yeah, and the widow. And I would have let the widow go, but Zealous is uh smarter when it comes to that. Um, yeah. But I mean and then like uh easing up on the restrictions of what it can do. Like I think that that makes a lot more sense. So bringing webs and and newts back into it. Like that's that's yeah. going to make uh, people's choices a lot more interesting. Uh, and sure, I think a lot of people are probably going to take like uh, Navy Foons probably for their flagship just because they're cheaper, but not mm -hmm. necessarily the best choice. Like maybe someone's going to bring again. Like again, looks great on paper. I think it's a massive bait, but <laughs> it does look mm. great on paper being able to completely nuke someone out. Yeah. It can be quite strong, but it you know it depends on having the comp and the meta in in which that matters. Um, and I will, think, uh, sorry, Stitch, go ahead. Uh, I was going to ask, will uh, because their minimatar will Fargers be discounted as well, or is it only the navy ships? It's just navy, so it's the two navy battleships, the navy cruisers, the navy frigates. The Navy destroyers? Question mark. <laughs> if they're out before the AT, if they exist. Um, so yes, There's not a lot of ifs there. Yeah, yeah, no T two 
uh, hulls or anything like that are getting discounted. Which is interesting. I actually, you might or might not know anything about this, Swift, but I was curious what the prize skin situation is going to be because normally the prize skins are for the discounted ships, um, which is easy with the pirate lines because there's three of them. You know, three Mortars Legion ships, three skins, three, you know, three Blood Raider ships, three skins. Now that there are sort of six discounted ships, what's the, you know, are some of them going to get skins and some of them not? Are we going to get sets of six skins instead of sets of three? Are skins prizes this year? Uh, there will be skin prizes, yes. Um, like for winning a match, you will be getting, hopefully I didn't spoil something, but you will be getting skins. Um, but in terms of the actual prizes themselves, uh, like more information on that, I'm going to leave that a little bit later just to dangle that in front of, in front of people, just so we have something else to reveal at some point. Um, as people are like starting to scream at their Alliance mates and get mad at, uh, practice, then they can look back and see the prizes and be like, oh, okay, now it's worth it. I'll, I'll go back to this uh, this abuse. Yes. Yeah, there hasn't been any official prize announcement yet. Um, I don't think it's a terrible spoiler that there will be some kind of skin prize because the last time there wasn't a skin prize for the AT was maybe never? I think actually the last time there wasn't one was the last time that the Mimer and Freki were given out. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, I am a, a memer owner. Uh, I'm butchering the name, by the way. Don't let my Icelandic uh, uh, co-workers hear this. But um, that ship I'll is put a little disclaimer garbage, at the start the of the, the episode. If you want to talk yeah, about it, like ships actually, that get balanced out of and like phased out of the meta. <laughs> Jesus, you're talking about the, it had like a 40-kilometer lock range or something. And even then it got buffed a bit. But um, it is hot garbage. Yeah, Stitch, have you, you know, I know you've attempted to recreate some of the other AT ships, but has it ever occurred to you to try to uh, become a Mimmer or a Freki? <laughs> uh, I've looked at them, and, like, I think the the Freki is better than the, the Mimmer because um, it, it kind of synergizes well. See, the problem with, with the, the Mimmer is that it's T2 Minmatar doing armor things, and that never goes well. Um, you know, even though it does have the resistance bonus, so that actually does help it a little bit, but it's it's weird because it has like four guns and dual utility highs and like three mids, I think. So they're, yeah. uh, they're very... It's very interesting, but actually I had someone in the Discord on um, Lesson 10 Discord talk to me about the, uh, the memer and how I would rebalance it, so I went through that, but like I don't see the point of trying to duplicate what the Mimer can do because it doesn't really do anything that the Munin doesn't or the Hurricane Fleet issue doesn't do. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, there, it's going to get an overhaul, uh, and the Freki will probably be a little bit better as well, right? We're going to upgrade those, and so if you're an owner of an original Mimer or Freki, the idea is that it's still going to be called. It's still going to be like an AT7 edition. Uh, Mima or Freki, and it's going to get a bonus too. It's like going to get uh, upgraded to whatever we do with the the current Mima and Freki that we're going to re-release. So you're you're still going to have like the uniqueness of the old ship, which is now super year like super old, um, but it's not going to be hot garbage either. 
Well, that's uh, that's promising. I my assumption has been that you know because it's a new AT price, the goal is not just going to be to make it not trash, but actually to make it you know strong as hell, like the Laylaps and the Raiju. Imagine a Ram Jag with hyena webs, and that's going to be the new Freki. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I, I don't know what the exactly the meme is going to be, but we're going to make it broken for sure. Um, it's not going to be like the same as a Mirage or anything like that, but um, we'll find a, a really fun use for it and break it. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. sure CCB Aurora will also help us there too, but I think Zealous and I can break something really good, and then uh, Aurora will make sure it's not too broken because we actually do release a fair few of these uh, now instead of like the original 50 that ever hit Tranquility. And yes. then, like, three people flew because they were madmen. Now we release quite a few more. Yeah, I've always always looked at the, the Mimir as a potential, like, overpowered wolf. So, like, you know how you fly, like, an arty wolf where it has, like, no tank and they're just basically alphaing things with a, with a wolf, but it's actually really, really fast? That's kind of how I imagined a, a rechanged Mimir just being an extremely fast cruiser that hits really hard, but, you know, obviously... In this case, we'll have better tank than an armor munin. Mm, it's like a like a, a hack bonus arty cinnable sort of. Yeah, yeah, sort of, but probably faster. Well, obviously faster than the cinnable. Like it. Yes. It would it would have to be absurd because it is you know an AT ship and it doesn't have an EWAR bonus at least as of right now. Um, so it would really need to lean into that that speed to just keep away from everything, but still, you know, annihilate them at range with artillery or, you know, potentially auto cannons if, uh, you know, if auto cannons don't suck on it. Yeah. Well, it definitely will be interesting to see what that turns into. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see what people actually get around to, to using them are going to be, or like, or like how they're going to fly them. Right. Um, I, <laughs> We probably took it a little bit too far with the lay laps and Raju, but I'm I'm for it. Uh, I I watched like uh, I think the Volta team went out and did like an actual comp with only uh, lay laps and Raju's, and they like took on a fight and there were like twenty of them. Uh, oh, that's so much amazing. DPS. Yeah, 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 like just twenty people in AT ships flying around, and they had like uh, they had Von Hol in their fleet too, so they knew that they weren't gonna get Von Hold. Mm, so mm-hmm. even better, even better. Little safety net. You think Von Hole is having second thoughts? He's like, I could kill so much right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, imagine just taking out 30 AT ships in <laughs> one go. Battle report to end all battle reports. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be so good. I've been seeing um, Mark Bridges has been doing a laylapse and a Varger and or a laylapse and a curse and just like farming Marauders with it, which has been pretty spectacular. Yeah, that's that's kind of nice. They are extremely strong, but I don't think they're too strong. Even with the the longer, you know, the the bigger run, you know, the more the more ships released, they're still really limited. People are still paying hundreds of billions of us for them, and people are definitely still like having second thoughts about undocking them. Yeah, for sure. But I think we like if we only released fifty, um, that that blows right. Like no one has fun there. Everyone's yeah. just like, eh. like maybe one or two people are crazy enough to fly it around, uh, but then they just don't want to. Now, like at least the perception is that we gave out a lot, and then more people have them. So, like, hey, I could be one of those crazy people, and then other people are like, well, 
I didn't even expect to win this, so I'm going to fly it anyways, uh, and it'll be great. Yeah, and I think it's you know it's cool to see them being used. They're not being used so much that they're affecting. Like no one's like, well, we're, we're going to take this fleet out, but we've got to be conscious of the laylapse meta, you know. <laughs> so they're not really affecting things in a in a wider way like that, but they are getting used, and that's you know that's what they're for is for killing people and exploding. And they're dying in hilarious ways. Yes, they're dying to drifters. They're dying to spectacularly timed hull rolling. They're dying to, all, dying to all kinds of things. So related to this, I was I was kind of talking about this with my team the other day. You know, once again, CCP has, you know, invited uh, previous tournament winners and has set up uh, a set of tournament slots that are going to go to the you know, the kind of playoffs, quote-unquote, um, the feeder rounds. And then there's a set that are going to the auction bid again, which, same as last year, you submit Plex, the highest, um, what is it this year, 16 submissions of Plex get to be in. And then, you know, if you're lower than that, you just automatically are registered into the feeder round. Please, the Trials Tournament? I'm sorry, the Trials Tournament. The, right? the Minmatar Trials Tournament. No, no, no. We, we call it feeders. Let's call it what it is, yeah. Um, it's, just, uh, it's just with some Minmatar flair on it. Yeah, totally. And it's, you know, it's the Minmatar year. So last year, we started with 32 slots, 75 teams signed up, and ended up expanding to 40 slots. Um, but the extra eight basically started with a one-loss disadvantage going in more or less yeah do you know were you part of the conversation do you know what the thought process was behind going back to 32 slots given how popular it was last year and given the wider prize distribution that everyone saw last year i think we'll encourage even more teams to try uh so when we when we were first doing it ccp aurora was like what if no one signs up and i'm like people will sign up she's like are you sure and i was like yeah, and so we went with this uh, 32 team and kind of had no no real plans for a feeder tournament. Uh, this year, we had the feeder tournament built in our heads. Like we know uh, exactly what it's going to be. So it's almost like um, it's almost like two tournaments in one, right? Like if you win, you're in from last year. Good, good, good going. That's nice. If you put in a ton of money on the line, then you're also good to go. Otherwise, you have to brawl it out um, and. Yeah, I, I think that's just kind okay. of how we're going with it. And we also wanted to make it so we could have uh, a good format without like stretching this out over too many weeks, um, especially the time of year that this thing is typically held, right? You're talking about if we go a little bit too long, then we're getting into Thanksgiving, December, travel, finals right. for some people, um, and they just can't compete, right? So. Uh, keeping it concise and packed in that way, uh, making sure our talent doesn't have to spend like four weeks uh, of their life doing AT stuff. That makes sense. Okay. I was just curious. It's just a little bit more practical. And we knew that we had this runway for like uh, the, the trials tournament. Gotcha. Got it. Well, here's hoping uh, everyone has fun with that. 
yeah, I mean, it's uh, with the prize distribution the way it is, um, you don't have to win that many games before getting rich, right? Like, and we're talking giga rich. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was another another conversation we were we were having internally a little bit. Is you know just talking about theoretically, if we win prizes, what do we do with them? Because you know the the tiers of prizes haven't been released this year. We don't know the exact numbers, but last year. The first place you, the first sort of level at which you got prize chips, you got four. Yeah. And that obviously uh, doesn't divide very well 10, 15, 20 ways to your whole team. And so you have to sort of have a plan for like what you're going to do that isn't just the team captain steals them. Yeah, that um, <laughs> that hasn't happened so far. I'm waiting for it. Like I'm waiting for that Eve story where the captain just absconds with all the ships. Um, but still you're talking 800 bill because people are going to want these ships, right? So if you, uh, just, if you finish in the money, which is not that hard to do 800 bill, maybe more, but give or take is what you get to bring home. Um, that's a pretty good payday, right? That's yeah. If you have just like one upset in your favor or someone accidentally boats out of the arena against you, then 800 bill. That's an insane amount of money. Uh, and it just goes up from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a lot. And that's kind of why I was wondering about the, you know, sticking with 32, because I think having seen that you can make that much money at these lower levels is going to encourage more people to be like, you know, I didn't enter before because there was no way we were going to get top four and win prize ships. But if we only have to get top 16... You know, we only have to get lucky, basically, or you know, get some good matchups and do some good theory crafting, and like, you know, well, it doesn't take that much. So. Yeah, and I think the the same can actually even be true if you wind up in the in the feed around. It'll be much harder, right, because you have less leeway to to kind of screw up, or you have to screw up a little bit later. But if you read the meta better than someone else does. Um, you're in basically, and you spent 2,500 plex to get 800 bill uh, potentially, right? Um, or even more. Like, and it's all about like. There's always a Cinderella story every year. Every year, there's like yes. a team that you don't think belongs there, or like you didn't predict to be there, and they make a run. And usually, the team is just as surprised as everyone else is. They're just trying to like hide it a little bit better. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And that's what makes it so much fun to watch and to participate in because you see these things happening. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember vividly when like um, uh, the Templars team, who at that time were kind of nobodies, knocked Hydra into the, the lower rack, uh, into the losers uh, rounds, or into the losers bracket. Like that was insane. Yeah. And yeah. then the last Spartan went on this tear for like four years of giga dominance. Um, Unfortunately, unfortunately, ended when the AT came back, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. He, he, yeah. That team's still going to be good. Oh yeah, the, I don't think anyone thinks they're like a pushover, even if they haven't been as dominant as they used to be. The only other thing I have on this list to talk about is um, Ansiblexes, which I put on there as a joke, and probably we shouldn't get into that. So I was gonna gonna wrap it up there, unless either of you has another thing about the AT you want to throw in. Uh, I believe EVNT is still holding uh, tryouts for uh, uh, casters and just um, uh, all sorts of talent. So if you're interested at all, 
uh, like I said, we do have the 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 feeder round and the tournament and event. You know, generally casts a wider net for the the feeder round type things. So if you've never done it before, you know now is the best time to try out. Uh, if that's something you're interested in, it is a lot of fun. Uh, I've that's kind of how I I got into doing uh, community stuff in general is through the alliance tournament. I was just like, hey, it would be fun talking about explosions as they happen in real time and try and bridge the gap between people who have no idea what's going on and uh, everyone else. Uh, I don't know if I did a good job at it, but I had a damn good time doing it. Well, I don't know if you did a good job of it either, but it was, it has always been fun to watch you do it because you are so clearly having a good time doing it. That's a fact. So yeah, go over to EVMT, check them out uh, and, and throw your, uh, throw your hat in the, Yes. Name in the hat, however that that thing goes. Yeah, for sure. And that's you know most of it is done you know broadcasting from wherever you are, no travel involved or anything like that. So it's quite logistically simple uh, to participate in. And you get to to kind of find out really fun names to call a carries or a Celestis because I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot of them. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, moisture jokes. I think. Yeah. All right, so that kind of was a shout out, but if you have another one, go for it. Uh, you do I, I actually definitely do the the CSM. You were you're joking about Anzaplexes. The CSM we're actually talking about them uh, last Thursday with the design teams. So it's just it's something that's on our mind. I'm not going to say which way it's it's people are leaning or promise a timeline for it, but it's uh, discussions are happening over over how those work and how those could work better. Well, that's heartening to hear. How about you, Stitch? Do you have a, a shout-out? Uh, just shout-out to uh, CCP for, obviously, you know, everyone working on the Faction Warfare changes. I know it's a really big change, and it's a needed change. I think, you know, my opinion is it's going to uh, revitalize the whole area of space, and uh, specifically also shout-out CCP Aura because... Uh, you know, I've had talks with her about various topics. She's easy to talk to and and be accessible. Uh, and obviously, she's very busy, but it's nice that she takes the time to you know communicate with us. So yeah, that's it. Awesome. I'm gonna shout out CCP Zealous, who, as we discussed, is you know kind of taking on not the entire AT mantle, but the the lead role, which I know is a ton of work. Um, he has a long history of tournament involvement and i think he's going to do a good job but uh it is a lot to put on a person and i appreciate all the work that he's doing yeah i'll also double shout out to zealous he was actually meant to be here in my place i am just the backup um because zealous was actually meeting players at eve glasgow this uh this weekend yes which you know i hope everyone over there is having fun all right well, I think that is about that. Thank you both for being here. Uh, it's always educational to hear from Stitch and CCP Swift. So always appreciate you. Anytime. So till next time, remember, it's not the size of your gang. It's how you use it. <laughs>